0: Morning. How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Man, we just had um, such an incredible weekend with um, our kids' ministry. Um, the past couple of days, Friday and Saturday, they were up here uh, playing games, doing a mission project, and um, learning about how to be a good Samaritan. And so, what they're going to do this morning is they're going to come and they're going to bring um, they're going to bring a presentation, a skit for you guys that illustrates um, the biblical parable of the good Samaritan uh, that Jesus gave for us to to have an example. They're going to lead us in worship through song, also right after that. Um, would y'all please show so much support to these kids before and after they come up on stage and encourage them to know? That we are a church that encourages people who boldly profess the name of Jesus. Y'all give it up for our kids' ministry.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're about to witness the reenactment of perhaps the most well-known parable in the book of Luke, the Good Samaritan. And there are still some good Samaritans living even today. But let me warn you, like books, people cannot be judged by their covers, so come with us as the story unfolds. A certain businessman living in California was on his daily commute in L.A. when he pulled off the freeway, as usual for his morning paper and coffee, when some gang members attacked him and beat him. Well, by chance, a world-famous Christian rock star was zipping down that same freeway on her way to a photo shoot. When suddenly she had this craving for an ice mocha cappuccino, she exited the freeway and saw the man lying there, robbed and beaten. Oh, no! And she said, Hey, dude, I can't help you out. I have a concert. Well, don't fret. Not much time passed by when you guessed it. A professor of Bible passes by. He became desirous of espresso and pulled off the freeway. This professor of Bible also passes right by this half-dead beaten man. He crosses the street and hurried into the coffee shop saying, It would not be politically correct for me to get involved. Besides, I'll be late for my new conference. Applying Biblically Principles in Today's World. Anyway, continuing with the sad story, just a her look, here comes someone in a huge stretch limo. Wait a minute, is that the bank president? Why he has spotted this poor man he's crossing to the street to get to him. Stop the limo, do you see that man? He needs a help. This can just wait. The bank president offers his coat to the poor beaten man. Maxine, bring me some bottles, waters, and towels. This man needs help. We proceed to watch his rich exited bank president of all people help this poor man. They loaded him in the limo and drove him, drove him to, his, to his private soup at the Beverly Hills Hotel and then called for the finest doctors to help him at the end. bow your heads and close your eyes god thank you for today i want to pray that everybody has a great day in that um i want to thank miss casey and pastor um caleb and i want to thank god for bringing everybody here today to worship god and to praise and i want to think. Th- i want to hope that everybody has a great summer the rest of their summer in jesus name i pray amen
0: I'll give it up for him one more time. Yeah. Well, good, good, good. Um, we are just so thankful for you, kids. Um, thankful for that truth that you sang that God is more precious than gold and silver. Amen. All of us, all the adults said amen. And we're so thankful for the plan and purpose that God has for all of your lives. Um, uh, if this is your first time here, we are so glad that you are here um, to visit with us today. Um, there, there are a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church. Uh, some changes, some good things that are happening, and I, I believe that God's uh, spirit is really moving. Um, I don't know about in your guys' heart, but in my heart, um, I just love this church so much and the people that are here um, I just Casey and I our family has just felt so welcomed and so loved like a, like a family here and um, if this is your first time at this church and you're considering looking for a church to call your church home and your church family um, I would say that there's no better church in northeast Florida um, than Arlington Baptist Church to be a part of and especially in this season as we're just praying that the Lord would would just breathe new life into this church to be able to to reach the community for his glory and uh, to expand his kingdom here on earth. So um, if you want to join here um, at the end, we're going to give an invitation to you. Um, If you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ at the end of this... uh, at the end of the message today, we're going to extend an invitation to you to be able to do that also. Um, But just be considering that throughout this message. But uh, we are actually going through a series called uh, Pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms where we as a church family are walking through the Psalms for the past 50 days. um, Or for the past um, however many days we've been through, and we're going for 50 days total. Um, and so we're walking through the psalms and we're learning just what it means to pray the psalms, to pray the psalms together. Um, last week, what we did, or not last week, but the week before last, uh, we looked at what it mean to, meant to, to pray the psalms in a psalm of praise, what it means to be a people of praise, right? But, and what I, what I challenge us to do is to consider, hey, is your natural disposition as a follower of Jesus to be a person of praise, like, are you you a person of praise? And what we learned last week was that, like, that's not something that you can necessarily be taught. Praise comes from a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's an outflow of what God is doing on the inside of us. And so uh, uh, the praise is the culmination of things that we love, right? As we walk with Jesus, we love him. And then out of us should, become, should come praise to who God is in our lives and so my challenge to us and our invitation is that we would be a people of praise but what if what if we're going through a season or a trial in life where it's just hard to praise where it's like man just so many things in my life they seem to be falling apart you're going through loss you're going through sorrow Maybe it's health issues, maybe it's family or relational issues, maybe it's just something that you've got between you and God, and you're like, man, I just don't know how to praise. Well, I want to tell you that this is a good Sunday for you, because although we want to be a people of praise, we also want to be honest with God about the way that we feel, right? We want to be honest with God about how we feel, about the things that are going on in our lives. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a psalm of lament today. So if you would turn in your, in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13, you can turn to it in your phone. Um, the the uh, verses will be on the screen as well if you want to follow along. Um, I would encourage you. Um, As a church member to bring your Bibles so that you can look at the text so that you can see it so you can underline so you can circle different things because everything that I say up here my prayer and my goal is to highlight what is in the text and then help us as a church to be able to be able to apply that I've got nothing good in and of myself that is of eternal value to offer you. So my goal and my job here is to lift up the name of Jesus and teach you his word so that his word then can, word then can bring transform, uh, transformation to your life. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 13 today. Psalm chapter 13, and if you would stand in honor of reading God's word. We want to honor God's word give his word the respect and honor that it's due. The word of the Lord says this in Psalm chapter 13. says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. May God bless and honor the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. So this psalm, like I said just a second ago, is known as a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A psalm of lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. In fact, over half of the psalms... In the book of Psalms are lament psalms, which means that over half of these psalms have something to do with the psalmist as either an individual or a nation expressing great grief or sorrow. The reality is is that sorrow, sadness, frustration, trials are all genuine experiences that we experience as followers of Jesus. I had a professor in seminary one time say that we are all, every single person that is alive, are between two different poles in life, right? There are two different destinations that we are all between. It's either um, great victory in life or it's a great trial in our life. It's either praise or it's sorrow, right? Every single person is in between those two destinations. And if you've been alive long enough to know, you can say amen to that, right? It's like there are times where we're at our highest highs, but we know just around the corner that there are also some lows that we're going to experience. That's just the nature of life, right? That's just the nature of life. And you may be under the impression that um, experiencing feelings of sorrow, frustration, or anger are demonstrations of a lack of faith. Somehow, the church has communicated, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that expressing how we feel when it's a negative emotion is bad or it's a lack of faith or it demonstrates a lack of faith. Sometimes men, we also, we also carry this as well, right? We often feel the weight and the burden to bury any kind of negative emotion, either feeling sad or depression, right? We are raised with the notion where we just say, just, just stop crying or just get over it or rub some dirt on it, right, when we get hurt, all right, or just suck it up. And sometimes even in church, whenever we come across someone who has experienced some, some kind of sadness, we say, why are you doubting God, right? We can make someone feel guilty, because they're experiencing some, some kind of sadness, depression, or some kind of hurt in their life. But expressing the emotion which is God given to us and being honest to God is what the Bible teaches us is okay for us to do, which we just learned in this psalm or what we just read in this psalm, right? In fact, the main point of this message is, is that God calls us to pray honest prayers in faith that he is trustworthy in times of desperation. That's the main point that I want us to get out of this whole psalm, that God calls us to pray honest prayers in faith that he is, trust, his, he is trustworthy in our times of desperation. The psalm that we just read is an expression of King David's emotional hardship that, is, that he is experiencing with God, right? I said earlier that men, sometimes we feel like we have, to, we have to suppress any kind of negative emotion or sadness, but David is like a man's man, right? The Bible says that David fought off bears and lions to protect his sheep, right? He actually says that I caught a lion by the beard one time to, to rescue one of his sheep. Like, like, like that's, a, that's a man's man. And yet he's still expressing his negative emotion or sadness or depression, right? We also know that, that David fought off Goliath, right? Which was this giant of a man who everybody was afraid to fight and, and people um, who would, well, Goliath would would fight off like 10 men at a time. He was so strong, he was so big, and he was so good at combat, but David still defeated him, and then at the end cut off his head. See, David was a man's man, yet he wasn't afraid to express the emotion or sadness or frustration that he had with God. So what I want you to see in this text is that the Bible encourages us to be honest with God in every emotion that we have. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this text and we're going to see exactly how David invites us to make confession to the Lord in an honest and transparent way. I don't know about you, but when you come to the Psalms, I don't, I don't know if you're encouraged, right? Because it seems like every range of emotion is expressed in how, how honest David is and transparent he is with his feelings. Like, I don't know... I, Sometimes I feel a little bipolar because one day, like, I wake up and I'm like, yay, Jesus is awesome. The next day I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I even doing in life, you know? I don't know if you're, al- if you're like me, you're just making me feel alone because there's no feedback right now. But David does this. Look at Psalm 139, 1 through 8, Right? Psalm 139, 1 through 8, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is high I cannot contain it look at verse 7 where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence I ascend to heaven and you are there if I make my bed in Sheol which means death you are there now contrast that with what we just read how long O Lord will you forget me how long will you hide your face forever right so you can see the, the the range of emotions that David experiences and what what I want you to see is that it's okay for us as believers to be honest with God in our prayer life. Because when we aren't honest to God in our prayer life and the things that we're feeling and even maybe the negative, the negative emotions that we're feeling towards God is what we're doing is we're saying, we don't believe that God is big enough to be able to handle the emotions that we have. When God, through his word, invites us to make a confession of how we feel, And the first thing I want you to see in this text is that it's okay for us to make a confession of complaint. That's what David does. In verses 1 through 2 of the chapter of Psalm that we just read, in chapter 13, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's saying, listen, God, how long do I have to endure this? right? In fact, the complaint is directed towards God. Look at the language. How long, Lord, right? Will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, in in this century, we kind of think, can you do that, right? What he's doing is he's coming to the Lord, and he's being honest with his prayer that, man, God, you just seem absent from me right now. And if I'm being honest, it seems like you've forgotten me altogether. How long do I have to endure this? How long? And we don't know the exact context or story of David's life that he's experiencing to bring into a place where he would cry out to God in this way. But what we do know is that David was anointed as king of Israel when he was a young boy. If you're not familiar with that story, um, there's a prophet named Samuel who God told he was to anoint the next king of Israel. And he went to a man named Jesse who had so many sons, seven sons, and he went through and said, is this the king? Is this the king? Each one God was like, nope, 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 nope. So Samuel went to Jesse, um, David's father, and said, do you not have any more kids? He said, we've got this one kid, but he's like kind of the runt. He's out. He's the shepherd. We put him over the sheep, um, so, but I'm sure you don't want to talk to him, right? So um, Samuel's like, go get that boy, right? And so David is brought to Samuel, and God says, that's him. God says, you look on the outside while I look at the heart, right? And so God calls David as a young boy to be the next king of Israel. But the problem was that there was currently a king that was sitting on the throne over Israel, right, whose name was Saul. So not only was David crowned to be king, but after David killed Goliath, Saul, who was the king, became jealous of David and also wanted to kill him, right? So David, being a young boy, knows that he is anointed as king, has this terrible king who's sitting on the throne, and now this, this king Saul wants to kill David. In fact, King Saul gets jealous because David King kills Goliath, and all the people start singing this song in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. It says, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Can you imagine being the king and hearing that? Like, you're the king, and this young boy, this runt, has, people are singing about this young boy's triumph, and you know that he's going to be the next king. And so what does Saul do? He gets so mad that he seeks to kill David. And on three different occasions, Saul is so mad that he chucks his spear at David, right? He chucks his spear trying to kill him. He misses him all three times. And S- Saul spent a season just chasing after David and hunting him down, wanting to kill him, right? So S- David... Anointed king by God has to sit and watch this man rule terribly, right? He knows the promise of God, yet he has to wait for the promise of God. Most scholars estimate that from the time that King David was anointed as the king to the time that he actually took the throne was 25 years. So for 25 years, David had the promise of God and he had to sit and he had to wait. And watch this man terribly lead the nation of Israel. And not only that, he was being chased and being killed by this king. So David is no stranger of what it means to wait on the fulfillment of the promises of God in his life. So for 25 years he waited. Can you imagine? How long, O Lord, right? You made a promise to me 25 years ago. How long do I have to wait for this? It may not have literally been a long time, but maybe just like a season of loss that seemed like an eternity. Yes, David had to wait for 25 years, but he also experienced a tragic loss, right? David lost his firstborn child. So David had an affair with Bathsheba, um, who was married to a man named Uriah, who the Bible says was an honorable man, who fought for the king David, right? And because David had an affair and actually had Uriah murdered, the consequence was that his firstborn child would be sick and die. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15 through 19, the Bible tells us, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick, talking about the child. Verse 16 says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Verse 18 says, On the seventh day, so seven days of fasting and praying, the Bible says that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? he may do himself some harm. But when David saw that the servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. I'm not making a claim that this Psalm, Psalm chapter 13 is a direct result of either Saul chasing after him or even the loss of his child. What I am saying is that David is no stranger to having to wait for promises of God, but he's also no stranger to suffering, loss, and trials. What we can learn here, though, is that David's direct confession of complaint is directed toward God. He says, How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Obviously, David in this text, he feels forgotten, right? He feels abandoned. I know that many of us in the, this room if we're being honest, have felt that way. But, I mean, will we really blame God? Doesn't he seem to have a busy schedule? You know? Trying to take care of the whole entire world. We'd really be mad if he's like, oh, shoot, my bad, forgot you. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, is that God is a good and gracious Heavenly Father that knows all things. He knows your every need, and he will never Forget you. We'll never forget you. There was a Sunday recently, this is just an honest confession of my terrible parenting. Um, someone was holding Cove and they handed me to Cove. Cove's my son, he's two years old. Um, they handed me my son and I was having a conversation completely distracted. And when he gets restless, he starts to wiggle. And I put him down, right? I put him down and um, um, just kept on going about my conversation. And all of a sudden, I looked around, and I was like, wait, was I holding Cove a second ago? And um, he was nowhere in sight, and I turned around, and the door behind me, the doors right over here were, were open, and this, like, my stomach just sank. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot my child, right? So I ran outside, and I was looking, looking all over for him. I turned around, and somebody else had, had held him. And I just saw my wife's face and the look of just terror. We didn't talk about this. But He was fine. He was fine. Um, I tell you, friend, though, although sometimes we as earthly fathers, we forget um, your heavenly father will never forget you. Jesus actually said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We might feel that. But the truth of the matter is, is that he will never forget us. We oftentimes feel that our honesty to God about how we feel like he has hidden himself from us or forgotten us is a lack of faith, Right? I want to argue to you today that suppressing how you feel and not being honest to God demonstrates the exact opposite. When you're not honest to God, you're saying, I don't believe that you hear me. I don't believe that you care about my feelings or that you're even able to handle the emotions. I want to tell you that our God is a big God and he calls you today to be honest with him about how you feel. Being honest to God is actually a demonstration of faith when we feel that God is the source of our frustration and feeling forgotten. Listen, if you're not a believer in this place, it's okay for you to be honest with God. That's actually the first step is being honest with God. This this text has actually on multiple occasions over the past 10 years of my life been something that has been transformational in my spiritual walk. So I don't, I don't know if most of you probably don't know mine and Casey's story, but um, we lived in Jacksonville um, 12 years ago. Uh, we lived here, and um, 12 years ago, we decided that we would start to try to have children biologically, right? Um, Well, we kept on trying, trying for a couple years, and nothing was happening. Um, And um, we went to the doctor, to an infertility clinic, and found out that um, we were 99.9% not able to have a child. 99.9%, so there's a 0.01% chance that we would ever be able to conceive a biological child. But that was probably about a five-year journey of trying with, Seasons of just brokenness. I remember there were times when I would just walk into a room and find Casey just weeping on the ground because another month went by and we hadn't conceived. Years went by and we weren't able to conceive a child. It just years where we just cry out to the Lord, How long? How long do we have to endure this? another season of life we adopted our, our second child um, Collins and um, when we got the call we were told that she had some special needs um, and it was I mean it's still the journey to this day but at the beginning it was probably one of the darkest seasons of our lives trying to figure out what was going on with her she would have debilitating seizures have to spend night after night in the, um, the NICU close to death on multiple occasions and we didn't have a diagnosis for her we didn't know what was wrong for a couple of years just crying out God like, how long do we have to endure this right even um, in ministry even I, I felt the call to, to be a lead pastor three years three years into um, starting in ministry And then for another seven years, just God not fulfilling that call where I was and just waiting on the Lord. The Psalms, y'all, teach us that we can be honest with God. Say, how long do we have to endure? How long will you hide your face? I want you to know that Jesus was honest in his prayers to God, right? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, the text says that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, man, he was wrestling with going to the cross. He knew his fate. He was supposed to die for the sins of the world. And he was 100% God. He was 100% man and was struggling with it. And this text says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What an honest prayer, right? Right? God, if there's any other way, that I've got to do this, or so that we want to save the world, let's think about that for a second, right? But He said, "Nevertheless, not as I will, but as but as you will." He surrendered the will, His will to His Father's will, and then we come to Jesus on the cross, quoted in Psalm chapter twenty-two, which is a messianic psalm that was prophesying the coming Messiah. It's a psalm of lament where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 27 verse 46 it says, and about the ninth hour, this is Jesus our Savior on the cross, he says, Eli, Eli lama sabechthani,' which means my God, my God why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus the Savior of the world crying out and lament saying, God why have you forsaken me? Today I want to invite you in your prayer life to be honest with God because he can handle it. Your confession of complaint may be the first real prayer of faith that you have ever made because you've been hiding those feelings from God. Make a confession of complaint to the Lord being regular in your life, right? So David, first he makes a confession of complaint, but then he makes a confession of insufficiency in this prayer. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. David says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? David asks the question, how long must I take counsel in my own soul, right? The way that this text reads seems to be saying, how long must I have to try and reason this out on my own? Have you ever been in that before? Like you're going to God, you feel like there's no answer, and so you're trying to make sense of it all within your own self, right? Right? And we all naturally do that. We want answers. We want want to, to understand why it is that we're going through a season of loss or trial or just where it seems like God has hidden himself from us. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, says it this way. It says, how long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? That kind of paints a better picture as to what's going on how much how how long will i have to store up this anxiety within myself and agonize every day the niv reads it this way it says how long must i wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart doesn't that sound exhausting The essence of the verse seems to mean that whatever problem David is having, he's wrestling with it inside of himself, trying to reason out and find a solution, and it's causing anxiety and sorrow and distress within himself. And now David's saying, how long before you step in, God? How long do I have to wrestle with this in my own mind, try to reason all this out before you step in and rescue me? David is in essence saying, I'm insufficient, right? I've tried, I've tried to reason out my faith. I've tried to reason out my circumstance, and I can't. I can't resolve this problem, right? If you don't step in, he says, I may die. He says, I may taste the taste of death, right? Somebody ever been there before? We're just facing so much depression, so much darkness, where you're saying, I, I can't do it internally anymore. I need something. God, I need you to step in and rescue me from this this mind battle going on within me. You see, we live in a self-help culture, right? We live in a self-help culture. According to this website called tckpublishing.com, the self-help book genre is the number one best-selling nonfiction book genres to be bought. The self-help genre, the number one best-selling, There's another website that says, just so you guys know that I'm trying to be honest in the research, it's called jeffaffleck.com, says that self-help is the number two most popular. I looked at other websites to say which one, and it was always within the top five. Self-help genre is the most popular non-fiction selling book titles in our culture, or in America, and the self-help book industry was worth $10.5 billion in 2020. Our culture tries to tell us that we'll be able to find the solutions of our pain our problems our addictions and sorrows within ourselves but the reality is is that we are we we are insufficient to be able to fix ourselves right culture says you can but the reality is is that we can't we can't fix ourselves right But what happens when you can't fix whatever it is that you're walking through, the depression or the anxiety or the trial or the circumstance, the loss that you've experienced? What happens when you can't fix it? Where do you turn to, right? What happens when you fail you and there's nowhere else to turn, right? The world talks a lot lot about God has failed us or our faith in God is futile and silly, so look inside yourself. I don't know about you, but I've looked inside myself, and it's a lot darker than I'd like to admit, and there's no solution to be found within myself, and I have to turn to the Lord to rescue me, to help me, to sustain me in my seasons and in my trials and in the sorrow that I experience, because the more I internally struggle, the just the darker it seems to get, right? What happens when your faith in you lets you down? What happens when you don't have the, question, the answers to your questions and you can't heal your pain? You can't stop the addiction. You can't heal the wounds that ever, uh, others have caused you. You can't seem to find the answer. Then what? What happens with what you've wrestled with, these things, the sorrow and, uh, and despair, just becomes too much for you to bear? What do you do? Where do you turn? David says that we are insufficient in and of ourselves to be able to find the solutions to the brokenness that's within inside of us and David is a man of faith the Bible says that he is a man that searched after God's heart right wait even though that he even though he expressed frustration with God even though he went through seasons of doubt even though it felt like he, he had been abandoned by God he's still considered a man of faith yes because his faith brought him not to himself, but it brought him to express and be honest with God. Faith in God is admitting our insufficiency within ourselves. That's what it means. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we're saying, God, I, ha- I can't find the solution of the forgiveness of sin that I'm trying to find in this world. I can't find the numbing of the pain and alcohol, sex, addiction, all these things. I can't find it anywhere else, Right? That's what it is, to to, to repent, to say, Lord, I can't find it. And being honest with God and say, I confess. So what this psalm then does, it calls us to a confession of dependence, right? We go from a confession to complaint, a confession to say that we're insufficient in and of ourselves, and then we confess that we're dependent, right? Verse 3 says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What he's doing is saying, God, would you... Would you now step in and consider and answer me? He enters into a confession of dependence. His, his plea and his request demonstrates a dependence on God, right? I read this with a sense of urgency. Have you ever been in that place? A sense of urgency before God? Consider me. Like, would you at least consider my circumstances? Like, it doesn't even seem like you're considering me. Would you look at me? Answer me, Lord. I wonder if David's just like, man, just any kind of answer is better than nothing, right? Anything, even if you say no, God, would you just answer me? I just want an answer. Don't be silent, right? Have you guys ever, when you were younger, did you ever pass a note to someone, either the guy or girl that you liked in like elementary school or middle school? and you pass the note and said, will you, will you go out with me, or do you like me, yes or no? And you get the note back, and they circled or. You're like, what? <laughs> like, that's not even an answer, right? I never got it. No, I'm just kidding. But we, we want an answer, right? We send up a prayer. We don't want silence. We don't want God to circle or. We say, God, just give me an answer. Consider me and answer me. So right, right now, Covey's turning to tomorrow, um, he and then my, my oldest daughter, Campbell, kind of went through this phase, too, is that if I'm distracted, if I'm distracted by anything and they call my name, Daddy, 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 over and over and over and over again. I, I hear them, but I don't, like, hear them, or I'm distracted by something, right? Cove, what he'll do now is if I'm holding him or if I'm on the couch, he'll crawl up in my lap, he'll take my face and turn it and just look at me in the eyes and just go, Daddy, right? Just look at me. I, that's what I feel like David is doing in this, right? It's like, I've been calling out to you in prayer. I've been, I've been praying day and night, 25 years, seven days, however long it's been. Would you just look at me? Would you consider me? Would you pay attention? I think that God is, is calling you today to pray in a sense of desperation to him, to demonstrate your dependence on him, right? Right? To be honest with him and say, like, consider me, Lord, would you answer me? And I wonder if this is part of God's plan for us, sometimes stretching our faith. I don't know. But I think sometimes that God might just kind of make us feel or allow us to feel the season of distance so that we would become more dependent upon him, Right? In fact, Paul experiences something similar to this. The Bible says that um, in 2 Corinthians that Paul was experiencing what he called a thorn in the flesh, right? He actually says that the thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, God was using to keep him humble, to keep him on his knees and dependent on God's power. It says in 2 Corinthians twelve eight through 10, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Talking about that thorn in the flesh. But he... God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. This is Paul saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what what Paul is saying is that I would so much rather struggle with this weakness, persecution, this trial, whatever it is, and be dependent on God than be self-sufficient and just thriving in this world, right? And you say, well, that seems cruel of God that he would allow him to continue to experience that. Well, is it more cruel for a loving God to allow someone to continue in pride and to continue in sin and wander away from the Lord? Or is it more loving for God to say, listen, I'm going I'm to let you be weak for this moment so that you will depend on my power through this life. Because our, let's be honest, our culture says that we are self dependent. We're self-sufficient, right? There's no need for God, especially if you're wealthy. There's no need for God. What do I pray for? All I have to do is just write a check and I got it, right? Until our health or something like that goes bad. So what David is saying, listen, God, answer me, consider me, and I believe maybe the Lord is allowing him to walk, walk through that so the next season that he walks through, his, his faith will be stronger and he will demonstrate a stronger dependence in the Lord throughout it. It seems to me that God allows us to do this so that our faith will deepen. You might be in a season right now where you're saying, how long, oh Lord, but at least you're turning to the Lord. That's the first step. You're confessing to him. I'm dependent upon you, right? Don't turn inwardly to be self-sufficient, but turn to the Lord and demonstrate your dependence on him. God is never absent, right? But what he wants us to do is to run to him to demonstrate our dependence. You have to surrender to him. Surrender in honesty, saying, God, I'm insufficient in and of myself, and I need you. And then confess the real fears that you have. Be honest with what you're fearing, right? That's what David says. He has a confession of fear in verses 3 through 4. He says, consider me and answer me, O Lord my God, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What does that mean? Or else I might die, right? Right? Verse 4 says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm I'm shaken. What David exposes in this prayer of lament is that he has two fears. One, he may die, right? If God does not move, he may die. Or his enemies will overcome him. Lest, which just means or else I'll die, or else my enemies will say I have prevailed, or else my foes. So these are real fears. God, if you don't show up, I'm afraid of what might happen in my life. I might be overcome by my enemy. I might die. And these are two real realities that we face in this life, right? I had this pastor, um, friend of mine in the previous church. He's an older man. I loved him, Pastor Bob. Um, and he had this saying. It seemed insensitive, because every time someone would pass away, he would say this, but he said, "Well, no one gets out of this life alive. And I kind of cringe, like, Bob, yeah, you know. But it's true. Nobody gets out of this life alive. And, and death is a reality that we'll all have to face one day. You may have had some kind of diagnosis where you've had to experience that, where it, it seemed fatal to you. You may have been in some kind of accident where, I don't know, some. You were close to death but it's it's a reality and it's a wake-up call that no one gets out of this life alive right it's a real fear that some people have but we also have a real enemy we've talked about this a few times um, is that we have a real enemy and his name is Satan and that no matter who you are if you no matter who you are Satan wants to destroy you because the image of God is on you we have a true enemy maybe your enemy hasn't been a literal person but maybe it's an addiction that you face that's set in and it seems like God has hidden his face from you and you don't know if you'll ever see victory have you ever cried out to God because of your enemy of addiction where you are just like God if you don't step in I don't know what's gonna happen so maybe you're in that place of despair and darkness Maybe your enemy is depression. Maybe that's something that you battle. Christians can experience depression. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century pastor who battled with depression, which he called the dark night of the soul. He he genuinely battled depression. Have you ever cried out to God for deliverance and asked God to free you from the dark night of the soul before? Just, God, deliver me. Would you just shed some light into my life? Maybe you fear that you're never going to experience joy again and your prayer is, how long, God? how long? How long do I have to be depressed at work? How long do I have to struggle with this in my marriage? How long do I have to battle this addiction? How long do how long, how long, how long, God, are you going to let this? If you don't step in, Lord, I want to encourage you to be honest with God about these things. Be honest. Confess to God that you're struggling and that you feel like he's absent. But then also, I want to invite you to confess to someone that you can trust. If you're you're battling addiction, if you're battling some kind of depression and it's hidden and you've never told anybody, listen, Satan wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel alone. First, confess to the Lord, right? Confess, Lord, Lord, man, this is dark and I need you to step in. Confess that addiction that you have, Lord. Lord, how long, would you please just deliver me? Would you answer, would you call me? Or would, would you answer when I call? Also, confess to someone that you can genuinely trust, a believer that you know that would, that would be able to encourage you, right? And then also seek professional help. Seek professional help. If you're walking through something and you've never, you've never confessed this to somebody, seek professional help from a Christian counselor who will counsel you with the Word of God. Because I believe that doctors are a gift from God and will be able to help you through that. But it starts, listen, look up here, it starts with us being honest with God. That's where it starts. There's this, um, are you guys familiar with uh, the Apostle Peter whenever he was walking on water? Um, Jesus was walking on water. The disciples were in a boat, and they see this figure coming towards them, and, and everyone's like, oh, it's a ghost. And Jesus calls out, it's not a ghost. And so Peter, of course, he's, he's bold. He says, listen, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out, and I'm going to walk on water with you. And so he does. Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 30 through 32, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen, but it says, but when he, talking about Peter, saw the wind, it says he was afraid, right? He saw the wind blowing around him. Fear set in and then he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. What an honest prayer, right? Just, Lord, pray, Lord, save me. And so in verse 31, it says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What an honest prayer from Peter, just saying, Lord, would you just save me? Would you save me? I see the circumstances, I see the wind blowing, I see the waves around me. Would you save me? So be honest and just ask God to save us. But he also called us to fight, right? He called us to fight our enemies. He called us to fight the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? He called us to wage war against our enemy. Not to be passive about it, but to to wage war against him. We've talked about this a few times. We do face an enemy, but greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? So the last point is, is that we make a confession of trust, right? We make a confession of trust to the Lord. Right, So we we confess our complaint to him, we confess our insufficiency, we confess our dependence, we confess our fear to the Lord, and then we confess our trust. Look in verse 5 through 6, and we'll wrap up really quick. Verse 5 through 6 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David says, but, Right? David says, but, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And I love this. I love the transition where David goes from despair, from a dark feeling in his heart, and he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. R.C. Spool says that the presence of faith gives no guarantee of the absence of spiritual depression. However, the dark night of the soul always gives way to the brightness of the noonday, noonday light of the presence of God. Although that we face seasons of darkness and depression, like there's always hope. There's always hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Listen, when you're being honest with God, and, I'm, and, I'll, and I encourage you to, we need to be totally honest with God, right? We need to be totally honest with God in our prayers about God's character and his faithfulness to us in our lives, especially through salvation in Jesus. We can't just bring our complaint to God because we're looking at our current circumstance and not think about the past, how God has been good and faithful to us in the past, right? David says, But I have trusted, right? I have trusted in your steadfast love. He's saying, My heart's gonna rejoice in your salvation, right? He says, for you have dealt bountifully with me. What we need to do is, although we're being honest with God and saying, listen, I'm facing depression, I'm I'm facing darkness, we have to allow the light and the the light of truth to set into our lives that God has dealt bountifully with us. us. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of perspective for us to look around and to consider what other people are walking through, right? For us to say, listen, God, you have dealt bountifully with me because I'm not in this situation or another situation, right? I could be homeless. I could have been, I could have been born in a third world country. I could have been, I could have been, but no, God, you allowed me to be in this life. And not only that, you've allowed me to have salvation through Jesus. That has to be the trust and the hope in your life that gets you through it's like a little glimmer of light where we're saying, yes, I'm being honest. It's been a long time, but you have been faithful in times, fast, in, in, in times past, especially through Jesus Christ. If that isn't enough to get you through whatever it is you're walking through, I want to I encourage you to meditate more on what it means to be forgiven of your sins. Past, present, and future, and the fact that we face an eternity in heaven with God Forever, let that be the hope that brings you to singing the joy and rejoicing in God's salvation, no matter what season you're walking through. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible because the the Apostle Paul talks about this for us. We have to remember that God is working in and through our lives. Not just the moment, which seems hard, but He's continuously. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's the Apostle uh, Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, yes, I might be walking through a trying time, I might be suffering, but I know that this life is not the end for me. This isn't where it ends, right? Suffering, death... All those things, those will be put to death when Jesus returns, right? We have the hope of salvation, not just in this life, but eternity. We're not just living for this life. We're living for the eternity. We don't just make decisions based on what affects us now. We make decisions based on what affects eternity Although it might be hard, we, we we speak the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves that Jesus has saved us. Romans chapter eight verse twenty eight says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to our purposes." I think about those seasons that I walked through in my life of infertility, of walking through adoption with Collins's um, disabilities, trying to struggle with those, and then even my like my calling into ministry. I wouldn't trade any of it for the for, for this world. Being on this side of it, I can now see how God has faithfully walking with me through it. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of perspective to say, I, I remember last time I was kind of freaking out. I was having a hard time. It was dark. But on the other side of what I was walking through last time, God got me through it. Remember that he has been trustworthy, that he's been faithful to you. Remember those things. And God works all things for our good and for his glory if you were called a child of God. And think about the links by which God went to save you. He sent his own son to die on the cross for you. Do you think he's going to withhold anything from you? Do you think he's going to deprive you as his child? No, God isn't cruel. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39 says this. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see what what the Apostle Paul is saying? God didn't spare his own son for you. He sent him to die for you, and now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, pleading your case before God, saying, listen, I know that he's struggling. I know that he's struggling, but he's mine. My blood covers him. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. Then he says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Look at verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you all see what the text is saying? No matter what you're walking through, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Your eternal security is secure in Christ Jesus. He will not withhold anything that you need in this life. I'm not talking about materialistically. I'm not talking about that you won't go through hard times, but God's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit will always indwell you. Let that be the hope and the trust that you hold on to no matter what season. Listen, Arlington Baptist Church, may we be a church that's honest with God all the way through. We can bring our complaint, our confession to Him, but we need to be honest with God about our salvation as well and how good He is to us. May we be a church that we stand in this hope. Encourage one another with the gospel, with the truth that God loves us and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Let us be totally honest, yes, with our darkness, with our trials, but also with the good news of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. God, and I, I don't want to minimize, Lord Jesus, anything that anybody is walking through in this room right now. I pray that you would just give them a glimmer of hope and light if somebody is walking through some kind of trial or suffering or darkness in their soul. Lord, would you fill them, remind them of your love for them and the extent of which you love them by sending your son, Jesus. God, if someone's facing a season where they're saying, how long, God, I just pray that they would be filled to know that your promises are sure. Your goodness, your mercy is never failing. And you have given us grace upon grace upon grace. May we be a church, Lord Jesus, that stands on the truth of your word, and the promises of salvation. Pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we have three invitations for you really quick. I know it's late. I have three invitations for you. If you want to join Arlington Baptist Church today, we invite you to come. I'd love to talk with you how to do that. Um, Pastor Brett talked about um, some things that are coming up in September. One of those things is we're going to do another new members class. Um, So if you want to join, we're going to start one of those um, the weekend after Labor Day. so if you want to join, come forward, um, or if you just want to fill out a connect card and just indicate on there that you want to join this church, you can do that. Um, if you just need a time of prayer, you just want to come, this altar is open, you can pray. If you just want to confess to the Lord, be honest with the Lord, and whatever season it is that you're walking through, you can do that. Um, but most importantly, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you never started that relationship, and you just say, hey, listen, Caleb, my whole life has been marked by how long, O oh Lord, Right? My whole life has been marked by suffering and trial and hardship. My invitation to you is to, to start a relationship with Jesus, and that starts with being honest with God. And just saying, God, I need you. Just like Peter cried out, Lord, save me from my sin. You fill me with your spirit, make me new. And then we'll help you walk that path of growing in Christ-likeness on a daily basis sometimes look up here sometimes the darkness that we experience is a consequence of our running from god and running towards sin sometimes the consequence of our sin is just being cut off in fellowship with god right sometimes the darkness is self-inflicted right And if there's something that you need to repent of, something that you need to confess to the Lord, listen, there's no judgment. But an open invitation to be honest with God and say, Lord, I need you, would you save me? The altar's open here for you today to be able to do that. If you want me to talk to you, um, I'll be down here. I'll just just wait and pray. If you just need a friend to cry with or to pray with, I'll be down here for, for you as well. But the altar is open, the invitation is open to come. Come just as you are. Let Jesus change you.